Joseph Kiwi-Tere believed that the world would come to an end on New Year's Eve 1999. When that didn't happen, he adjusted the date to just a few months later. Joseph's movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God started off as a devout Christian group based in Uganda. Then came a prophecy of the apocalypse, which led to a mass suicide and killing of an estimated 800 to 1,000 members. It was one of the deadliest cult-related killing suicides of all time. Hello everyone and welcome to Sinister Society's Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week we're going to cover your favourite cults, faith followers and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And yes, today we're going to get into the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. It's a mouthful. Say it seven times when you're pissed because I don't want to say it ever again. We'll tell you about the group's obsession with the Ten Commandments and the messages that its leaders say they received from none other than the Virgin Mary. We'll also get into the fiery inferno at the group's commune in Kanungu that took the lives of hundreds of members. Were the maths deaths suicide, murder or both? Well, we're going to find out. Mm -hmm. But firstly, I want to find out how many of the Ten Commandments you can name. (laughs) Uh, Okay, not in any particular order Here we go Of course, why not? No killing Do it properly Thou shalt not kill Thank you Thou shalt not steal Yeah, right, I'll give you that one Thou shalt not covet thy brazen objects (laughs) (laughs) Thou shalt not covet thy Thy neighbour's wife Yeah Oh, wow Um, Thou shalt not bear false witness I thought that one was a joke Thou shalt not wear mixed fibers. <laughs> nope, that one's not in there. <laughs> no praying. I stopped counting. Hold on. What did you say? I shall not kill. Steal. Stealing. Covet. Coveting. Coveting. Coveting things. Lying. Lying. What's the brazen object one? That isn't in there. Oh, is it not? Is it oh, something that's, about idols? Um, yeah. Thou shalt not worship. Do you know what? False idols. Why are we wasting our time when we have the internet <laughs> at our disposal? Let me have a look. And then I can give you clues. Yeah, no other gods before me. That's the... Oh. Graven images. Hmm... There's an obvious one. Commit adultery? No, that's yes, the yeah. wife one, isn't it? Oh. Mm, kind of. So you um, can't even look. Don't even mm, think about it. <laughs> I definitely don't do it. Yeah, no swearing. Don't take the Lord's oh. name in vain, obviously. Honour your mother and thy father. Mm-hmm. All the classics, they're all in there. Well, they are the classics. Yeah, I think that's it. That's probably about it. That sounds about that right. Sounds, that sounds like it's about ten. Yeah. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Let's get into Joseph Kiwitere and how he came to lead the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. 
Joseph was born in Uganda in 1932. He was a devout Catholic and a school teacher. Uh oh. Double whoops. <laughs> One former student described him as a godly man. They said, quote, You can tell by his practice, going to church, tending to the sick. Joseph also eventually became a supervisor for a region of Catholic schools. And then he went on to found his very own Catholic school. Joseph married a woman named Teresa in 1960, and they had a fucking whopping 16 children together. Good Catholics. Yes. Excellent Catholicism there. Good Catholicing. One of my uncles is one of 12 children, and then the Pope said adopt, so his parents got another one. Oh, wow. Mm. Doesn't matter if you can feed them, just mm. as long as they exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just as Jesus would have wanted it. <laughs> so Teresa described her husband, Joseph, as a peaceful man, and said that they never fought. Lies. Even despite the no doubt massive, immense pressure that having 16 children mm. would rain down upon any family. Never trust a couple that say they don't fight. (laughs) That just means they're afraid of each other. Mm. But all that seemed to change in 1989 when Joseph met Credonia Merinde and several other members of her family. Credonia was raised by a Catholic father who claimed that he was visited by Jesus and in good old Catholic style, the Virgin Mary too. That's one of the biggest differences between Catholicism and Protestantism. The Virgin Mary is a big deal in Catholicism. The Protestants don't give a shit. Oh, and also St. Joseph appeared to him as well. And Credonia's father said that he received messages from both Jesus and the Virgin Mary and St. Joseph. He received messages from all three of them about convincing people to follow the Ten Commandments. Credonia left home in 1989 with her niece to spread her father's message. And this pair first met Joseph in June of that year and shared the visions of Credonia's father. Joseph told them that he had received similar apparitions from Jesus and the Virgin Mary. So he was like, that makes sense. Mm. I'm one of you. And then just like that, Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. The women moved into Joseph's house with his children and with his wife, with the goal of starting a new religious movement. Joseph's oldest son said that home life was lovely until his father, quote, brought those people home. Uh Uh-oh. 16 is okay. Yeah. 18 too much. There's not enough people in this fucking (laughs) house. Well, there's already 18 of them in that house because 16 kids, mum and dad. I ain't here to do maths. Now, well, I am. (laughs) And I'm telling you, there's a lot of fucking people in this house. So it started out small with the women and a few other followers moving into the family home. I don't know if I agree with calling it small, but I guess it's all relative because pretty soon there's like a thousand people there. Yep, good. That's numbers. That is numbers. That's That's number number one. (laughs) And of course, that number soon ballooned into 200 people. And of course, plus Joseph's kids and his wife. So most group members were former Catholics and they didn't see themselves as an offshoot of the Catholic Church. They were a return to what the religion was supposed to be. Because that always ends well for everyone. Mm -hmm. Just need a bit of fundamentalist orthodoxness. So they're like, the Catholic Church is doing it wrong. We're going to properly Catholic now. Yeah. A former Roman Catholic priest who joined the movement in the early 1990s remembers it as a protest against the Catholic Church. He said, quote, The church was backsliding. The priests were covered in scandals. And the AIDS scourge was taking its toll on the faithful. The world seemed poised to end. Uh, I mean, can I understand that argument? 
Yes, I can. But I'm, what does returning to the fundamentals of the Catholic Church change about any of those things? So what, you're going to do mass in Latin again and then AIDS will go away? Like, I don't really understand. Well, I think, you know, it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it. But yeah, I can imagine that, you know, these days, definitely there's, there's a lot of stuff about people saying that they think that the Church of England is going too far into, like, quote unquote, modernising and mm -hmm. they feel very left behind by it. And obviously, as non-religious people, it's very difficult for us to understand because we're like, well, we're moving forward yeah. into a different society that we're building. But obviously, for some people, they're like, but that's not what the Bible says. So what are you doing? And I can understand if you've been told your entire life that this is the word of God, blah, blah, blah then it might be difficult to feel like the institution behind it isn't living up to that. So boom, we're scared as well because now there's AIDS and there's all this other stuff going on. We're going to start our own church to stop it. I can see Because God's mad. Yeah, I can see that if you thought God's mad and you were like, oh, well, possibly being the wrong kind of Catholic has made him this mad. And all those scandals, of course. Mm -hmm. Like, you would just be like, the church is corrupt. But that's because these men are fallible. It's not religion's fault and it's not God's fault. So we just need to purify it. And we'll start again. That bit I understand. What I don't understand is in the midst of the AIDS crisis, the Pope was like, yes, yeah, still don't use condoms, though. But again, it's like, how educated were these people even at that time? I don't know. I mean, the Pope definitely would have known. That, like, I'm not agreeing with what the Pope mm. said. But again, if you are taught from a young age to put the word of the Pope above all else, that is religion, isn't it? It's an unquestioning faith in these people. So Sure, I just don't know how they thought they were going to solve AIDS by being a different kind of... I think it's like any revolution. Like we were talking about it when we were recording another episode mm. for something else earlier today. People always think, well, things are going bad. We'll have a revolution. And then when we're in charge, everything will be uh -huh, fine. Uh -huh. And I think there's a touch of that here. The movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God had six leaders, including Joseph and Credonia. Fun fact, another one of the leaders was studying for a master's degree in religious studies from Los Angeles Loyola Marymount University. Teresa, Joseph's wife, at first joined in the group's religious activities. But then she said that Credonia had started to mistreat her. Teresa said of Credonia, quote, She said I was bad. Then she said she and her sister should sleep in the same room with my husband and I. He always supported them. I think I know where that's going. You're out with the bajillion children, Teresa. Joseph's oldest son also recalled being targeted by the group members. He said that they told him the Virgin Mary instructed them not to give family members food and to punish them. That's not really Mary's vibe. No, I didn't think so. Sounds quite uncharacteristic. Well, actually, we don't really know that much. Because after the away in a manger, mm -hmm. no crib for a bed, that bit that we all know about, mm -hmm. there's kind of not much else. No. There was a bit taken out of the Bible about Jesus fighting a dragon when he was a boy, but that got taken out. But then they just fast forward 30 years and he's like, I'm a carpenter now. <laughs> so maybe the Virgin Mary was a horrible disciplinarian. We don't know. We'll never know. Credonia, meanwhile, said that she was constantly getting messages from the Virgin Mary too. She spent most of her days inside a room receiving messages and writing them down for the group. She occasionally claimed that she received messages from phones hidden in cups and plates. We don't make the rules, guys. We just read them. We don't know how that works. We don't make up the delusions. <laughs> we just tell you about them. So tensions between Joseph's family and the group reached its absolute peak when Credonia's niece allegedly tried to burn a bag of Teresa's clothes and then beat her for complaining. 
one of Joseph's daughters, later recalled that one day, Credonia said she had received a message from the Virgin Mary. Again. And this message was that she needed an immediate sacrifice of all of Joseph's children who were under the age of five. That's pretty extreme. Yeah. Yeah. And I it mean, just gets worse, I'm afraid. We don't know if there was a lead up to this sacrifice. Maybe she asked for a couple of acorns, mm-hmm. some porridge. Yes. And then she was like, all of your children. Dead. Under the age of five only. So Joseph, meanwhile, started to sell off all the family land in order to provide food and clothing for this growing group. Teresa had enough. She lobbied village elders to have Joseph and his group expelled from the home. And in 1992, Joseph and the group moved to a hillside plot of land in Kanungu in southwest Uganda. They set up a commune whose name translated to Rescue Place for the Virgin Mary. I mean, sure, why not? Rescue from what? Just a place for her to relax. (laughs) To get beamed up. Yeah, just to To relax, kick back. Rancho relaxer. Starve some kids. All of her favourite things to do, allegedly. Coming up, we'll get into the religious beliefs and daily life of the movement's commune in Kanungu. What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories, realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie? Hi, it's Molly from the Parkhead series Conspiracy Theories. Each week, we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction, revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The Rise and Fall of J. Edgar Hoover, 75 Years of Roswell, The Tragic Death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. So let's get into the religious beliefs of the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. Members sold their homes and possessions and gave the money over to the group. And the group used that money to build a church, houses, offices and a school at their new property in Kanungu. Members were divided into three groups. The newest members were novices who had to wear black. The middle group were members who had promised to follow the commandments and they wore green. The most elite group were those quote, who were willing to die in the Ark, and they wore green and white. The Ark is obviously a reference to Noah's Ark, famously that didn't have people in it. They considered the commune a sort of reincarnation of Noah's Ark that would carry them into the new world when the current world ends. We're going to get into the apocalypse bit in a minute. One former member later recalled to the New York Times a questionnaire he filled out in order to join the group. And one of the questions was whether you are willing to die for your faith. Mm. Fine question, but I think if the people are looking for you to say yes, <laughs> bad news. 
Yeah, I think if I were... Let's add it to our job applications and if they say no, we'll hire them. Yes, right, exactly. <laughs> like, Do you have anything you feel so strongly about you would die for? You know what, we could have saved ourselves some time. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel so strongly about anything that you're willing to leave a paragraph comment in a... Oh, yeah. Mm. on the internet somewhere Mm -hmm. and then next follow-up question do you also feel that strongly about that same thing that you are willing to literally die for it thank you very much for your job application you have been unsuccessful at this time but we do suggest this handy cult that's a hanging out in kanungu in uganda (laughs) and more from red-handed's hr department (laughs) next week after the break (laughs) so life in the complex was ruled by a strict religious doctrine And the driving belief was that the Ten Commandments needed to be brought back into a primary place of importance in the world and followed strictly. They also believed that the world was going to end at the turn of the millennium on New Year's Eve in 1999. I think a lot of people thought that. Yeah, it seems obvious. Yeah, I mean, a bit on the nose, really, if anything. Well, it's the age of Aquarius. (laughs) And they believed that when the world ended, just as we entered the new millennium, Everyone in the complex would go to heaven. All members were required to read a 163-page manifesto called A Timely Message from Heaven, The End of the Present Times. At least it's only 163 pages. That's <laughs> not the politely worst. worded. Yes, exactly, exactly. And this manifesto was basically made up of revelations that Credonia Merende and Joseph Kiwitere had received. And here are just a few choice nuggets that we picked out. Number one. Mozambique will be destroyed by its own machinery. Mm. Japan will have rain falling for as long as my father wants. We don't know if they're talking about here Joseph being the father or whether father is God. Don't know. We'll move on. Next one. Joseph predicted hurricanes of fire for those who didn't repent. And he also wrote, quote, This fire will also reach inside the buildings. There is no way you can escape. I love that. Someone's like, well, if there's a hurricane of fire, I'll just hide in this building. Yeah. Like, no, inferno. no, you can't. You can't. It, will, <laughs> it can get into buildings. That's how it works. Well, when fire is sent from heaven, it does tend to be quite intelligent. It can even open doors. I mean, yeah, there's no escape. It can also swim. <laughs> so don't even think about getting in the sea. And in a bit of a morbid twist to his prediction here that all of the unrepentant would die in a fiery inferno of death, hundreds of members of his own group did later die in a fire. Presumably not one started by God. Well, not an AI fire started by God that will follow <laughs> you upstairs and out of a window. Well, <laughs> some insurance policies won't cover you facts of God. Well, so. good. The manifesto was driven by fear. It referenced the AIDS epidemic as well as the murderous regime of Uganda's then leader, Idi Amin, as signs of the coming apocalypse. Life in Kanungu was isolating. Members were told that Jesus and the Virgin Mary watched them at all times, ready to curse anyone who broke a rule. Those that tried to leave were attacked and treated like defectors. Much of the communication at the compound was through sign language that the cult had made up. And this was in order to help prevent the breaking of any of the commandments. If you can't speak, you're not doing sins. Maybe, but then I'm like, I could still definitely cover my neighbor's husband right. if I wasn't allowed to speak. You definitely couldn't bear false witness, though. No, I couldn't. I could commit adultery. In silence, yeah. I could Sexy murder. Silence. Exactly. Could murder. Uh-huh. I could be a thief. I could worship in my mind mm. a false idol. Yeah. So basically, it's only taking Blasphemy. the Lord's name in, yeah. in vain. 
that you can't I'm bearing false witness those are the only two <laughs> but maybe they're like you know what not being able to do mm-hmm. two is better than being able to do all 10 precisely you gotta cut your losses so one former member later told the BBC that if you sinned you had to recite the rosary one thousand times that's outrageous everyone knows that no matter what your sin is it's 10 Hail Marys 10 Our Fathers and then you can go home doesn't matter what you've done that's what you will get not here you know, at this cult <laughs> do you know when you go to confession you then have to go and sit in a room with all of the other people who've been in confession and everyone's sitting there with their rosaries watching each other wondering what everyone's done that's the fun group but yeah yeah exactly yeah so speaking of fun this wasn't very fun because a sex among group members including married couples within the group was discouraged pretty rich coming from you joseph 16 kids precisely and another thing that was also discouraged was medical care and guess what was forbidden? So No. Mm-mm. Yeah. 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 Maybe they were like, if no one's washing, people are going to feel less sexy. Yeah, there'll be no coveting <laughs> yeah. under this roof because everyone's fucking vile. <laughs> and it just gets worse because I fucking love having unmarital sex and medical care and soap. They are your favourite things. They are things. my favourite things. You do things. talk about it all the time. But the other thing I really love that was also taken away from them was their food because members were also required to fast on a regular mm-hmm. basis. Imagine that. No sex, no food, no soap. Ugh. And no pills. <laughs> to be honest, I probably would start believing in God to be that bored. <laughs> and maybe, you know, the whole sex ban was to do with the AIDS epidemic because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's what they're all really scared of yeah or like a key reason why some of these people seem to have joined this group and it kind of leaked into their ideology as well because a lot of the people in the group viewed the aids virus as punishment for alcohol use and perverse sex practices the cure for aids like most things in the group was the restoration of the 10 commandments there you go that's what they think they're going to achieve and the group were apparently not animal lovers either. So again, no sex, no soap, no food, no medical care, and uh, no cats or dogs because cats and dogs were apparently, quote, possessed by the devil. All of them. Every single last one. Everyone. All dogs don't go to heaven. All dogs are possessed (laughs) by the devil. (laughs) But despite all of this, despite literally being all of the things that people love, not being allowed, membership continued to grow. And by the year 1997, a government filing listed the group as having around 5,000 members. That's a lot of members. That is a lot of members, especially when you've just got boring shit on offer. It's a lot of unclean people is what it is. Unclean, hungry, bored. (laughs) Very stressed because they can't touch any animals. Precisely. It's the worst. Up next, we'll tell you about the massive fire that took the lives of hundreds of group members, as well as the mass graves discovered in the fire's wake. So let's get into the downfall of the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. There was one problem with the prophecies being communicated by Credonia Merende and Joseph Kiwitere. It's quite a big problem. None of them came true. That's what Uh, always happens. mm, And if you were not allowed soap or talking or swearing. Or puppies. Or sexing. Or eating. Mm. And then the thing you were promised didn't happen. 
pretty upset. Yeah, because they'd be telling you, I know you're really dirty and bored and sad and hungry, but as soon as the world ends in the apocalypse that's like coming really soon, you're going to go to heaven and you can have all of those things 10 times over. And then it's like, oh, what? Yeah. So naturally, there was growing dissent within the group of followers and it reached its peak on December 31st, 1999, when the world did not end as predicted. Yeah. So an immediate, immediate. <laughs> yeah. Just goes to 12.01. They just slowly turn around and look at Joseph and Credonia. What the yeah. fuck? Yeah. Many members reportedly revolted and some demanded the return of possessions and money that they had handed over to the group, quite rightly. I want a refund. I want to speak to the manager, please. <laughs> and one former member recalled people asking, how is it that the world does not end? And saying that their money should be refunded. They probably should have got a refund. I mean, it really does break all sorts of, what's the act? The consumer goods act. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I'm experiencing buyer's remorse. I have a demand that you give me all of my stuff back. I think they should have gotten a refund because they're not going to get their time back. No, 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 no. But Joseph had a solution. Instead of giving them all refunds. So I'll give you a credit note. Yeah, basically, he just decides on a new date for the end of the world, which was the 17th of March in the year 2000. So just three months down the line. Give yourself more time. Give yourself <laughs> more time. Give yourself a lot more lot time. More. Give yourself like a decade, mm -hmm. you know? So cult members began visiting the homes of former members to try and convince them to return to the complex in Kanungu. They really are just cutting close. <laughs> so on the 15th of March, a priest from the group went into town and reportedly purchased 50 litres of sulfuric acid. That evening, there was a huge party on the compound where members drank 70 crates of Coca-Cola and slaughtered and feasted on a bull. Beef and Coke, big party. <laughs> Great. You know what? I'm getting you for your birthday party. Delightful. An entire cow that you don't eat. Excellent. And Coke that you don't like. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> so on the 17th of March, hundreds of group members entered the church on the property doors and windows were locked and nailed shut from the outside. Then there was a massive explosion and the church went up in flames. A resident who lived near the church later recalled the day of the fire. She told the BBC, quote, everything was covered in smoke, soot and the stench of burnt flesh. There were dozens of bodies burnt beyond recognition. And for several months after, we could not eat meat. An estimated 330 to 530 people may have died in the fire that day. Though authorities stress that there is no accurate account, investigators suspected that there was poison involved since there were no signs of a struggle or violence. Yeah, no duh. I'm guessing that Coke wasn't pure Coca-Cola. At first, investigators considered the incident a mass suicide. But then, mass graves were discovered at the church's main compound as well as at other church properties. In Kanungu, bodies were found under fresh concrete and inside of toilets. In one mass grave, police dug up over 50 bodies. Many of the dead were women and children, and some appeared to have been strangled. At the home of one of the movement's leaders, police found 155 bodies buried in the backyard. At two other sites, over 200 more bodies were found. Though experts still can't determine an exact number, the final death toll for those involved in the cult may be over 900, making it one of the largest cult-related killings in history. After the fire, international arrest notices were issued for six of the leaders, 
including Joseph and Credonia. But even to this day, no one knows if they died in the fire or if they're living in hiding. And in 2014, Ugandan police actually floated the theory that Joseph and Credonia had escaped Malawi. But again, this has never been proven. So a day before the fire, Joseph's family got a box. And inside this box were books and documents from the cult. A certificate of registration, a copy of the Ten Commandments, obviously his favourite thing, and other items. The family believes that Joseph himself sent this box in order for them to carry on his message after the fire. And thankfully, his family were like, nah, no thanks, dad. Yeah, he's in Malawi, isn't he? Yeah, I think that he sent that stuff to give himself options because maybe he was going to go get it one day. Mm -hmm. But then he was like, you know what? Don't really need that. I've got loads of copies of the Ten Commandments. I'm just going to go to Malawi. And some days, on a good day, I can do them off by heart. Exactly. Don't even need to write them down. Unlike those two idiots that do uh, (laughs) sinister societies. But yeah, that is it, guys. That is the case of the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. Mm Mm-hmm. If you take something away from this, take only this. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what the Ten Commandments are. No. And anyone who says they do is a liar. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. And we just want to mention that for today's episode, we referenced reporting from the New York Times, the BBC, NTV News Uganda, Nova Religio, the Journal of Alternative and Emergent Religions, and an academic paper on doomsday movements in Africa by Professor Peter M. Venter. And remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every single week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, make sure you follow at Parcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Parcast Network on the Twitters. And if you like us and you want to listen to us talk about some other things, you should head on over and check out our true crime podcast, Red Handed, which we've been running for five years. And you can listen to that wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we'll see you here or there next time. Bye. Bye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters and Tracy Levy. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Sapphire Williams and fact-checking by Laurie Siegel. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>